right. You guys ready today? I'm ready for this. We are going to start a new series. <sighs> shifting gears again, right? Okay, we're talking hogs, then we're talking really important stuff, and now we're shifting back. Okay. K-Cups, we start this morning. Are you guys ready? Come on now. It's going to be a long series if this is the best we got. Come on. We're going to learn about the kingdom of God. Here's what we're going to do. So Jesus taught the kingdom like this, okay? He said, the kingdom of God is like this, and it's like this, and it's like that. And then everyone goes, okay, we got it. And then he comes back a week later and says, oh yeah, and it's like this. Okay, got it. And then he comes back in and says, oh yeah, and it's like this. And I said, wait, I don't get it. It's like this and this. Jesus chose to teach this theme of the kingdom of God through his entire life. This was his ministry. He came to bring us a message, and it's called the message of the kingdom of God. Excited yet? I have to get my cup right. We're going to start with a uh, certain parable today. I put my coffee too far away. I'm going to scoot it. You guys good? I'm really confused where everyone went. Are they all in the ownership class? If they are, we're going to have to take some seats over there. I don't know if we have enough over there. My goodness. You guys are quiet already. All right. Here's the context. Here's why we're talking about kingdom. First of all, this. Understand this. Jesus talks about this more than anything else he talks about. And everything else that he talks about relates to this, okay? What scares me um, in my time on this series, preparing it, praying over it, what scared me the most is how many sermons I've preached, how many lessons I've taught, and tried to, you know, kind of skirt the issue. It's almost like we talk about the kingdom and then we kind of move on. Jesus chooses, you know, to take parable and stories and examples, and he's, he's continually trying to explain this thing, and yet here I am, and most ministers, we've always tried to kind of avoid it. Because let's just be honest, the kingdom is confusing. Agreed? If, if you don't think so, then you weren't here for our last series, right? You guys are like, okay, we weren't here, we probably don't want to come back. The kingdom of God is his message. So, why is it important to us? Why do we need to understand it? Here's the context of the entire issue with the kingdom of God. Here's the first thing. Context is this. There is an ultimate reality that there is something beyond this life that shakes us and brings serious pursuit of God and His kingdom. Thank you for the text, my love. I love you. She, she texts me right when I'm reading a scripture. And so on my iPad it goes, boop, honey. I love you guys. Come on, stay with me now. Come on, okay. So, we have to approach this topic for one big reason. Because there's something else coming. We all know this. We had to hit this thing so many times. Weeks like this week are hard on us because it reminds us that people died. That there's death and there's pain and there's something inside of us that says that's not right. There's something inside of us that says I don't want that. I'm not ready for that. And this is what leads us to the point where we either have to choose to go all in and find out what in the world is waiting for us on the other side of this world, or we just put our heads in the sand and ignore it. And so the context, the reason we have to, we have to drive into this, the reason we have to pursue the words of Jesus is because we want to know what is coming. Amen? Do you want to know what's coming? Someone's like, I don't, I don't know if I do. That's okay if you're not sure. That's absolutely fine. But he wanted us to know what's coming. And he came to answer that question. And what's coming is the kingdom of God. Now, look at the big picture of Scripture, okay? In the big picture of Scripture, there is a story, there is a, a plan of God from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. 
Here's what it is. From the garden to Abraham, to Israel's story, to the present, and to the book of Revelation, God's plan is to have a people and a place to dwell with them. Did you get that? The plan of God is very simple. God desires two things. A people and a place. Okay? Think about the Garden of Eden, right? He had what? He had a people and he had a what? A place. The place is not important without the people. The people need a place. Come on. Make sense? Come on, come on. I want some heads now. Okay. He wants people and he wants a place. He doesn't just want the place. It's not just about the garden. The garden is not as special without the people. So he wants the people and the place. So he has both and then he loses both. Okay? Now again, we talked about this in our last series. And so then we see his attempt to regain it through Abraham. And he speaks to this man, he says, hey, through you I will make you a nation and I will give you a home. I will give you a nation. I will make you a people and I will give you a nation. I'm going to make a people out of you and I'm going to give you a place. And then that fails. So then he goes and and he tries to establish it again. And this time he desires to entrust this project to the one person who will not fail. His son. And so he gives this task to his son. And so his son comes and his son retakes his people. Okay? And again, the people is who? The people are us. Okay, it's called the people of the Lamb that was slain. That would be you. And so now he has a people, and now it's about a place. So he has the people he wants to spend time with, and now it's a question of where are we going to spend time with him? Um, in the Gospels, he constantly calls it the kingdom, but he adds different kind of phrases to the end. Sometimes he calls it a nation, sometimes he calls it a kingdom, and sometimes he even calls it a city. But the whole point is this, it's a place for us to dwell. Does that make sense? It's a place for us to move to, to inhabit, to, to have a life in, to experience, to enjoy. It's a place that we're going to stay. He didn't go to create the kingdom of the extremely exciting vacation. He went to create our eternal place that we're going to dwell. This is where he's going to spend time with us. We're going to spend time with him, and we're going to spend time with each other. And it seems really weird and out of whatever, but it's it's the Bible. It's the plan of God is to have a people and a place. So again, we are setting the table for what he's here to explain to us. So his, his entire intent is for us and for us to have a place that we desire to be with him. And so in the ministry of Jesus... He's constantly speaking about it. He's constantly talking about the kingdom that is near. Okay, The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. And yet, everyone is confused. Why are they confused? Because they expect a physical place, right? They're saying, well, you used to tell us that it was about you know, Jerusalem, about Israel. So I assume you're coming to kind of you know, fix the house. Whenever they saw Jesus going to the temple, and he started to turn over the tables and say, see, it's happening. It's starting. He's going to fix this place. It's almost like imagine a house that was run down. It's almost like they thought he was going to come and, you know, renovate the house, okay? And so they thought, it's coming. It's starting. He's talking. He's sharing this message. He's starting a revolution, okay? And so what's interesting about the parables of Jesus is that his message was always the same. He was always teaching the kingdom of God. But the way he talks about it changes. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, we see that he says the first story-like parable in all the scriptures. And one of the things that happens to you when you study scriptures is you always want to learn to ask why, okay? Why is this the first time that he begins to talk in parables and stories? Now, he's always using these little, you know, 
single line kind of tricky statements. But all of a sudden, he starts to get really intricate. He starts to make these long, extravagant stories about it. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus up to that chapter in Matthew, you see that he is now to a point where people are following him. He's now to a point where people are starting... People think they get it. Does that make sense? People think that they've got a handle on what Jesus is here to do. He's just now gone from a, a nobody to somebody, and now he has followers. He tells a story while he's on a boat in the water because so many people have, have, have crowded him to hear about his kingdom he's coming to bring that he is now has to be on a boat just to have enough room and space to where they're not crowding him. So he's got an audience. And the worst part about this audience is they think they understand what he's here for. Let that sit in for a second. You think you understand what he came for, and you still don't get it. We are just like the crowd on the hill. We believe that we've already got it understood. And the reason that Jesus changes things up, the reason he goes, okay, I tried to tell you simply and you didn't get it, so I'm going to try another way. I'm going to take what you think you know and I'm going to turn it upside down because you still are missing it. He had crowds for one reason. The crowds were coming to hear of him, to see if, to see if he was worth following, to see if he was worth enlisting in the army for. He had people who were literally coming to test the waters. Is this the guy who's going to overthrow Rome? Think about it. What they saw in his signs and wonders was power. Power to make change. Power to create a new place. A new nation. And if you notice, his signs and wonders even change from this moment on. He ceases to do those, those types of miracles because they were misunderstanding what they were for. The miracles that Jesus was doing was to show them a place, to show them the dwelling place, the kingdom, to show them what it's going to be like with His Father. They thought it was power on earth to make change on earth. Does that make sense? Is it kind of connecting? They thought that His power was to fix their house. What they didn't understand was it was a glimpse of their true home. Does that make sense? Come on. Nods help me. Shaking your head even helps too. If it's a no, just, you know, just tell me no. I don't, don't get it. That's terrible, Devin. Again, they were thinking this way. He wanted them to think that way. Does that make more sense? Okay. So again, this is the context. This is kind of setting the table for when he starts to talk about parables. The 13th chapter of Matthew is just an onslaught of parables. It's like he just snaps one day and he goes, okay, you don't get it. I'm going to blow your mind now. <laughs> Just sit still and listen to me, okay? So we're going to start with the first parable that he shared, okay? Which is the parable of the sower. Who thinks they know the parable of the sower? <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm not raising my hand this week. Okay. I did not want to start here whenever I was prepping because, you know, I wanted to use some parable that was so tricky and confusing and no one ever knew what it meant and just kind of have like one of those aha moments, you know? And then the more I prayed about it, I was like, no, 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 no. I need to start here. And the reason is because I think I understand it. I think I got it. Because see, the parable of the sower is a tricky one because he even gives us some explanation. And so it's easy enough for us to go, okay, I've got that one. I've got that in my pocket. We're moving on. So we're going to start here with Matthew 13. I've already explained to you um, the entire background, what's going on here. Again, he's been doing these miracles, especially the... the uh, the feeding of the, the uh, 5,000. That's one of the turning points in his ministry. Again, he gained tons of notoriety. He had, you know, 
5,000 men, so probably close to 10,000 people were there. He feeds them, you know, with this miracle. And imagine 10,000 people who witnessed that kind of power. Okay, they are spreading the word like crazy. And so his followers are just, you know, they're everywhere now. Okay, well, we'll say his hearers are everywhere. And so this, is, again, is the context. And so he's on the boat because there's so many people, they're, they're pressing on him. Let's read the parable. You guys ready? Matthew 13, verse 1. So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. All these notes in my Bible. Then he said many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Whenever you see that line when Jesus is speaking, he who has ears, let him hear, he is giving people a warning. You don't get it. Okay? In the Psalms, they use a word called silah, right? To pause, to ponder, to chew, to meditate on it. it, it it's, it's similar, except for when he says it's, it's more of a slap in the face. Because he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, who was speaking about how the people of God were always so close to God, but completely oblivious to him. About how the people of God, their religion was all about the exterior of things, what they did, not about their hearts. And so every time that he would say this after a parable or a statement, he was saying, stop and search your hearts. You don't understand me yet. And so this morning, I want to say the same thing to you. We're about to jump into this parable, and I want you to challenge yourself, okay? You and I, we don't get it yet. There's something that God wants to do in us that is not completed. It's not finished, and it's because we don't yet get it. Amen? All right, here we go. Some things I want to explain before we, we, uh, we jump into it. Understand this. Understand that he frames this thing in an interesting way. Okay, most of the parables come from questions, meaning most of the parables come when, when a disciple or someone in the crowd, you know, was asking a question. This one seemed to come out of random, meaning he just kind of spits it out. Meaning there was an important thing that he wanted to explain, not that someone else wanted explained. So he puts the parable out there, and the next thing that happens, you see from verses 10 through about 14 or so, then he gets away with his disciples, and they begin to ask questions. And then after the questions, he takes time to answer their questions. Now, you say to me, again, this is so simple. Why is it important? Not every one of the parables has this kind of a structure to it, to where he, he lays it out there, they ask questions, he answers each question. Again, understand, this entire chapter is putting up giant red flags Stop here. There's something here. I mean, think about how much this takes up, you know, half of a chapter. 
one story does. Okay? He goes in more depth in this parable than he does in almost any other one. This is the only parable of its size that's in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is important. Have I hit that home enough? Everyone's like, yeah, move on. Okay. Are, are you ready to actually jump into it? If you're taking notes, here's the first thing. When we begin to, to break this parable down, I want you to note the word mystery. Mystery. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 13, verse 11. His disciples have asked him a question about this, and he replies. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. The knowledge of the secrets of heaven. If you stop for a second and you begin to think about all the different times where you hear Jesus talking about secrets or about mysteries, and then you begin to think about the epistles, the Apostle Paul talking about how even angels long to look into this mystery that's been made known. There is a theme throughout the, the message of Jesus about the mystery of the kingdom of God. This is the primary reason that most of us, uh, especially pastors and teachers, have stayed away from teaching on the kingdom because it's confusing, because it's not concrete. It's not easy to say, okay, well, here's what the kingdom is, you know, blah, 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 blah. The very mysterious nature of our inheritance requires consistent relationship and reliance. Here's the thing about mystery. To have a mystery, you have to know something about it. So to have mystery, you know something about it, but you don't know all about it. Does that make sense? A mystery is something where you know parts of it, but there's other parts that are hidden to you. What is so frustrating about the mystery of the kingdom of God is that he gives us just enough to where we start to get it, but there's always something else that we can't just grasp. This is exactly how he treats almost every single thing that people ask him about. If you notice, Jesus, he always gives just enough of an answer to explain something, but he leaves the back door open almost every single time. Um, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I will. I... What I tend to do is I tend to go over, you know, just super basic doctrines, like doctrine of salvation, right? And I tend to go over it every year. Just, just I want to examine everything that I believe about the Scriptures. And what happens to me is every time that I do, I find out there are little things that Jesus was saying that just kind of leave me like, ooh, so are you saying this? Are you saying this? Are you saying that? And what happens with mystery is this. It forces you to be reliant, to be constantly drawing in. Um. Think about it like this. Think about a magician, right? You are not ever able to fully understand what they're doing on the stage, but you know just enough to want more, and you want more, and then it just eats at you that you don't know how they did the trick. Does that make sense? This is the nature of God. He wants us to always be wanting just a little bit more. Why, you ask? Well, think about yourself. How do we treat anything? The moment that we have a grasp on something, we instantly begin to do what with it? We begin to take it for granted. Think about your spouses for a second. Okay, you guys are the best spouses in the world, I promise, okay? Yeah. Have you ever taken your spouse for granted? 
Yes. Yes, you have. Okay. When you begin to believe that you know your spouse, that you know everything about your spouse, when you stop being curious, there's just an automatic reaction that we begin, oh, yeah, we begin to take them for granted. Think back to before. Think, okay, guys, think back to before they said yes. How much more attention and thought and energy did you give them? When there were still pursuit going on. Okay, <laughs> come on, now wake up, come on. Now this stuff is not complicated. Yes, okay. All right, when you were still pursuing your spouse, right, there's, there's this going on. <laughs> you're, you're on the prowl, right? I mean, you are hunting. You are trying to figure out how can I seal this deal, okay? Because again, there's just an uncertainty. You don't quite have your hands on it, okay? Like, you know, you don't quite have it yet. This is the very reason that Jesus never gives us a, anything that is just straight-lined. Because He always wants us to know it's my terms, not your terms. It's relationship, not fill in the blank. What we hate about this kind of Scripture, what we hate about this part of God's plan is it doesn't fit neatly into our lives. It's constantly wrecking havoc with us. So we want a Gospel that's very simple. Okay, so Jesus wants me to say this prayer, to get baptized, and then to stop doing bad things. And then in the end, you know, it'll all be fine. And that's never what he said. Ooh. Come on, Devin, you better do some explaining. All right, I'll do some explaining. Stay with me. Understand, though, you need to understand this. This is the message of Jesus. You will never have a full grasp on this. That's what he was telling us. You will have to constantly be leaning in for more. Always. Because again, the entire nature of his message is what? Relationship. God desires you. In the moment that you separate relationship from the equation, you're missing the entire point. If all I have to do is things, if all I have to do is say a prayer and get baptized and read my Bible, and there's no real relationship, I'm missing it. It's not to say those things are not part of it, but they're only part of it. He is constantly desiring this. Again, everyone says, well, I don't get it. Okay, when your spouse comes in and just like this, and you are invisible to them, do you like that? Is that the point of marriage? No. Okay, cohabitation is not the point of the kingdom of heaven, okay? You're not going to heaven to cohabitate, to live in the same house. Hey, Jesus. Does that make sense more, okay? You're going to have a, a, a real vibrant relationship back and forth. I mean, think about it. You, we live as Christians as if, you know, He's inviting us to a big condo. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's like, hey, you know, here's your room. See you later, you know. Lunch is at 12. You know, I mean, it's a relationship. Okay, come on. Yes, we get it? Okay, mystery. We don't have it, and that's the point. He's going to give us enough to know that we can trust and just enough to, to make the next step and then just enough to make the next step. And that's the nature of faith, people. That's why it's faith. Oh, my goodness. Amen. All right, here we go. Next thing, okay, when you're studying, note one, the first thing that we learn is mystery. The second thing we learn in this parable, we need to understand the character of the sower. Who's the sower in this, in this parable? Who is it? Come on, someone get brave. Who's the sower? God, right? Yeah. And what's really scary about this parable, when you really break it down, you compare it to other ones, it really looks like it's the Father God sowing His Son. 
unto the earth. But that's for a whole other thing. Everyone's like, okay, that's too complicated. Okay, God is the sower. Okay, so if you look at uh, Matthew 13, verses 3 through 4, again, here's God. He's a farmer who went out into his field to sow seed, and he scatters it. Now, the reason that's important is this reason. We find a picture of God as one whose care and love leads him to action. To unprejudiced invitation into his good plans. Understand that one of the reasons that the Jews did not like this parable is it didn't talk about the Jews. Think about that. Part of what the Jews thought they had, okay, on Jesus, you know, the, the part they thought they understood was that he was coming just for Jews. Okay? He's coming for his people. And it's us, right, guys? It's the Jews, right? It, it's us, you know? And he's saying, eh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and understand that part of the reason that he says this, again, is to take what they think they know and put it upside down. He's not just coming for them. And so what they didn't like about this parable is the fact that he doesn't clearly state, I'm coming for you. He says, I'm coming for people. And we see him scattering seed. When you scatter seed, okay, again, scattering is this. Scattering's not going, there's one Jew. <laughs> There's two Jews. He's going, here's people. Are you getting it? Okay? It's unprejudiced. It's unbiased. It's everyone is, is having the seed. Everyone is having Jesus thrown into their lives. Are you seeing one? Okay, yes. Okay. He is taking His Son. He's taking this, this seed of life that will transform us and He's giving it to everyone. There's no one who does not receive this. He's throwing it out. To everyone, okay? That is a scary picture to a Jew who's done everything right so they can be included. And now he's saying, it's not really about what you do. And us as Christians go, that doesn't apply to us. We think the same things. Think about this. This parable hits us just as hard today as it hit the Jews. Okay, keep going. All right, here we go. Here's the next thing that you see, okay? We see a bird shallow soil and weeds. Now, this is the part that I probably need to explain the least, okay? He actually goes through verses 19 through 22 and explains each of these things. And um, we'll go ahead and read it real quick, okay? Verse 19. Matthew 13, verse 19. Um, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart interesting thing here to see the connection between understanding and heart. Did you guys see that? It's not just a brain thing, it's a heart thing. For anyone who didn't understand it, but he steals it from the heart. That's a whole other sermon. Okay. And he goes on and he says, um, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. That's the bird. Uh, verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who heard the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, it quickly falls away. Uh, 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, and, and everyone says that's me, the worries of this life, okay? The worries of this life and the, deceitful, the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
Okay. So we see the bird. The bird is the person who has the seed of God stolen by Satan through fear, doubt, or unbelief. Now again, because this person was not able to understand the nature of what's being sown, they weren't able to get it, what's being done in their heart is stolen. Again, understand that everything that God does starts in the heart, but there's so much of a battle for us that takes place up here. I don't want to go too much more into that one. We see the shallow soil. We see the plant that's withered by hard times or by difficulty. Have you noticed the difference that takes place here? Once the seed is sown, okay, now we're not talking about seed anymore. With the bird, the bird stole the seed. But every other instance, the seed already created something. Do you see that? Okay. With, with the second person, the shallow soil, the seed was working. The seed produced a plant, but the plant died. Does that make sense? And with, with the next person, it produced a plant, but the plant was choked. Does that make sense? Again, we see something that's beautiful here, and it's this. It's that at all times, the moment we allow God to seep in, He's already at work. It doesn't matter the opposition on the outside. It doesn't matter how terrible things are going. He's already at work, and that's a beautiful thing. I'll talk about more here in a little bit. But understand um, each of these things. Here's a, here's a really good note for you guys. At some point, we see the disciples wrestle with each of these oppositions. Okay? When you study the Gospels, his disciples had issues about misunderstanding. Okay? First of all, get this. He's telling his disciples that they understand you know, the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom, that they are ones who have been entrusted with this. They still don't get it. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? Okay, he's talking to people saying, hey, you know what? So I'm talking to them in parables because, you know, they don't get it, but you guys get it, so here's the answer. You know and I know in the end that they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand anything he was talking about. His disciples in that moment are still examples of the bird who's coming to steal the seed. Jesus is in this moment sowing the seed of the kingdom to his disciples and the bird is coming to steal it. Do you see what's going on here? Okay. Everyone's like, come on, that's too much. All right. We also see this. We also see that his disciples dealt with being shallow, having no root system. Have you guys seen that in the Gospels? Yes, they were shallow. His, his disciples dealt with the worries of this world. How many times did you hear you know, uh, his disciples say, well, we don't have any food. We don't have any money. Again, here's the point. His disciples, the ones that we look at, the ones who made it, the ones who allowed the seed to, to, to bear fruit, each one of them struggle with each one of these attacks on the seed of God. Here's what it means. There's still hope for you. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what's happened in the past. We have this beautiful example of a bunch of idiots, okay, who still somehow the seed of God was able to bear fruit in their lives. And here's the point. There's still hope for us, okay? It's a beautiful thing. Next point. We need to look at the fruit. Matthew 13, 23. This is a big one. I want to put some time here, okay? Matthew uh, 13, 23. It says, But the one who received the seed that fell in good soil is a man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Here's something I want to say about this. Um, what we see in this parable, we are seeing the, entire, the entirety of our relationship with God. He desires to bring us home. He desires for us to come. He's the one who begins to plant seeds in our heart. 
And what comes down to is how we respond. How do we respond to this? I have had many, many, many people ask me as a pastor, how do I know that I'm saved? What security do I have, you know? Um, Am I supposed to be secure because, you know, I said a prayer? Am I secure because I got baptized? Am I secure because I come to church? How do I have peace in my heart? You have peace in your heart when you begin to see the seed breaking out of you. When the kingdom of God begins to come out of you, you, you already know that you are included in the kingdom of God. Let me go ahead and read this. It says, security of our inclusion in the kingdom is found when its very nature is overflowing out of us in other worldliness, which is Jesus' likeness. When you begin to behave and live and act as if someone is not from here, that's when you know. That's when you get it. When you begin to turn to, you know, to your enemy, and you begin to forgive, and you begin to pray for them. When you begin to have faith for things that you don't see. When you begin to extend love to someone who doesn't extend it to you. When you begin to live for another world that's not even here yet. You know it is in you. That seed is in you. It is birthing the very thing that you are going to experience. What's crazy about the kingdom of God is we have this, this, this thing, this ability to, to begin to taste and experience eternity now. We have this ability through the message of Jesus to begin to live in what we will experience with God forever now. I understand some of this stuff. It's a little bit confusing or frustrating, but that's the point. If this is what eternity is about, surely we can devote a little bit of effort. Amen? I mean, think about it, right? I mean, the parables that follow this one, the parable of weeds, which is kind of a scary one, the parable of the weeds talks about what happens to those who don't receive it, okay? I think you all know what happens with that, okay? The weeds get pulled out and they, get, and they, get, they go in the fire. Do you need more explanation? <laughs> the other ones go home. Okay. <laughs> the following ones, we see the pearl... Pearl of, of uh, great price, and we see the hidden treasure. Both of those uh, parables follow right after this one. It's all in chapter 13, and each one of them says the same thing. This thing is so small and hidden. It's a pearl. It, it's a hidden treasure in a field. It's, it's so easily overlooked, but for the man who finds it will sell everything for it. Does that make sense? It's so easy for us to overlook this. But the moment you glimpse it, you will give everything for it. This is worth the effort. It's worth the digging. It's it's worth the wrestling inside of us because this is what we were made for. And uh, again, we find security when God is at work. I personally am the most secure in my walk with God when I see him messing my life up, when I see him challenging me, when I see him, when I see myself making leaps of faith that I would never want to do, when I see myself having character that I'd never had in my own strength, when I see things inside of me that I know didn't come from me, that's when I'm the most secure in my walk with God. But here's the other side of it. This is the thing that Jesus tells us to keep our eyes on. If we do not see the fruit, something is wrong. Hear me today. 
you know that I'm not a doom and gloom you know, teacher or preacher. It's there. You guys have all heard it a million times. You understand it. This is the thing you are to look for. The Apostle Paul speaks about this numerous times about the fruit of the Spirit. If you are not bearing fruit, you need to be worried. If I'm not bearing fruit, if I do not have the character of Jesus in me, if I'm not living in faith, if I'm not leaning in for more of God, there's something wrong. It means that either I don't understand it, somehow Satan has come in to steal it from me through fear or doubt or misunderstanding. Either I have gone too shallow, I stopped too soon in my walk, and I am too shallow. And what once was real is now beginning to wither and I need to protect it. Or third, I have become so worn down and distracted by the worries of this world, by bills and by money and by stuff that's here, that it is choking out the life of Jesus inside of me. If these are where you are, it must be changed. Jesus always says, this is where we are to look. I'm to rejoice if I see Jesus overflowing out of me. If there's nothing, if I'm just going day to day, if there's nothing happening, that's why I need to get worried. What's going on? Let's keep going. Here's the fifth thing that we see in this parable. We, we see the seed. The seed, it's planted in our lives. And it can go undetected. But after it's buried in the soul and the soil of our souls, its effect cannot be denied. Now, you the picture here is very clear, okay? The seed needs to go deep to begin to bear fruit. Does that make sense? The only soil that it doesn't bear fruit on is the one that it doesn't penetrate the surface. It bears, it creates something in every other surface except for the one that it doesn't penetrate the soil. You have to let God get in. That's why we are so crucial about transparency here at Grace. You cannot have superficial anything with Jesus. It has to be real. Let it go deep. Let it challenge you. Let it pull out insecurities and frustration and questions and anger. And, well, you know, what about this? And I mean, goodness gracious, the first time I ever let God get real with me, I wasn't happy what came out. I was angry with God, and it wasn't pretty. But I let it sink. And the moment you let it begin to sink, that's when God begins to work in you. If you always keep it on the surface level, it's not going to do anything. Let it sink into your life. And when it sinks, it's not comfortable. You've got to break up the ground to plant your seed. Okay? All right. Um, now, here's the biggest thing of the entire parable I want you to see. There's hope in noticing that it is the seed which does all the work. Have you noticed that? He doesn't talk about the soil who went out there and plowed the soil. You, you, you know, in the story are what? You are the soil. You're dirt. Dirt can't tend itself. That makes sense, okay? So this is not a parable of how much this guy worked so hard to, to grow in Jesus, and this guy prayed so much more than this one, and this guy fasted so much more than this one, and, and, and like, you know, the guy who had all the fruit is the guy who prayed and fasted the most. Not at all. This is the story of the seed and what, and what Jesus does inside of you, not what you do. This is such a beautiful picture of, of grace. It's what He does in us. We have responsibility in this. It's our responsibility to get out of the way. Let that sink in a little bit. The soil that had the most yield of Jesus was the one that didn't have any opposition. 
It's that simple. Our job is to remove the opposition. If it is, if we're too shallow, stop being shallow. Put some time into this thing. Get real with it, okay? If, if, if your issue is the worries of this world, stop worrying. Do whatever it takes. If you have to meditate, I mean, whatever it takes you to do to relax and begin to put some time and some thought and some, 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 some purpose into God, do it. I mean, again, your job is to remove obstacles. Let me be more precise. You, the soil is our hearts in this parable. It's not just you, okay? So we can be active in this. But even in us being active, it's not about us doing all this work. The work that we have to do is preparing our hearts. If you're taking notes, get that. Your job in this whole thing is to prepare your heart. Prepare the soil of your heart. If it's hard, if there's misunderstanding, if there's fear, you've got to find a way to break ground. If you're shallow, if you're only willing to go this far, you've got to be willing to prepare to go deeper. If your life is so consumed with the worries of this world and with money, you've got to find a way to make room for the kingdom of God. You cannot make the kingdom, or you cannot make Jesus grow inside of you, but you can make space for Him. Amen? So what do we do with this parable, with all this, all this nonsense we're talking about today? Huh? Here's what we do, okay? Here's what we do. Here's how we respond. This parable is framed. Here's the parable. Here's the questions. Here's the explanation. And here's the, here's the last part of the parable. Open space for response. He always waits to see how his disciples will respond. He's given them the meat. They've asked the questions. He's answered the questions. Now what will you do with it? That's where we are this morning. We are at the point where the question is for ourselves, how will we respond? Will we ignore it? Will we only allow it to go so far until it gets uncomfortable? Will we allow this seed of God to go deep and make us a little uncomfortable? Will we allow it to go deep and to do its work? Here's how we respond. Step one, get a loose grip. Everyone's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's funny to me. Okay. So God refuses to be put in a box or to have his greatest gift to us reduced to anything less than moment-by-moment relationship. God refuses to be put in a box or to allow his gift to us to be reduced to anything less than relationship. Get a loose grip. Get comfortable not having everything fit neatly in your life. Get comfortable always having God just one step outside of your comfort zone. Get comfortable living by faith. Get comfortable having a little bit of mystery in your life. Everyone says, I don't want that. Okay. Step two. Expect the opposition. Nothing of great value comes without difficulty. Expect the work of God in you to be opposed. Again, it's not your job to grow. It's not your job to make it happen. It's not your job to pray so hard and to have, you know, to fast so well, to be so righteous and spiritual. He makes you righteous. Okay, when you let him in your heart, he gives you desire for more of him. He does all of the work. If you're having a trouble desiring more of God, if it's hard to, you know, come to church or whatever to read your Bible, it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're normal, first of all. The answer is not going to try to, you know, to make that seed grow on your own. It doesn't matter with all the science in this world. You cannot make the seed grow. There's something innate in this parable that blows our minds. That it's, not, it's not about our effort. Your effort is best applied to one place, 
preparing your heart, making room in your life for God to do what you cannot do. Here's the next step. Three, don't strive and don't resist. Don't strive and don't resist. The seed of God grows in us without our work, but with our cooperation. Does that make sense? It's not you who, who gets down there and just, you know, you're, you don't water it, you don't make the sun to make it grow, but your job is to not kill it. Your job is to not oppose it. Your job is to cooperate. Just let God have His way. Does that make sense with you today? Don't strive for it, but don't resist it. Meaning relax a little bit and just continue to let God do what He wants to do in your life. Make room for it. Here's the last thing. Find security in your fruitfulness. We are to be most secure when we see God at work in and through us. We're also to be most alarmed when we don't. If you're taking notes, that's a humdinger. We are to be most secure when we see Jesus in us and coming out of us. And we're supposed to be sounding the alarms when we see nothing. I have never had a season in my life where I really sincerely pursued God and didn't change. Ever. When I say pursued, I mean made time. <laughs> There's never been a time in my life where I didn't choose to make time for God or choose to trust Him to make a step of faith and I didn't change. Never. Every time God is at work in my life, there's change coming inside of me and around me. And the moments in my life where things stay the same, I start getting worried. That means somehow I am beginning to kind of stifle what God wants to do. In some place in my heart, I am beginning to, to, to oppose what He's trying to do in me and through me. Let's go ahead and stand.